Thanks, guys. Well, good morning, church. I don't know if you were thinking this, but man, that guy on the video was good looking. So you might get tired of me today after all that, but I just, uh, I am so excited to be with you this morning. We're going to be jumping back into our series on the fruit of the Spirit. So I want to invite you to grab your copy of the scriptures, turn it on, and go to Galatians 5, verses 22 and 23. We're going to be there. And as you're doing that, I want to remind you of something. That as you come in from, uh, I'm sure it's already starting to get super hot outside, and you're walking in here, and we're sitting here comfortably, I want to remind you that this is not an ordinary space. This is a space that the, the God that created everything wants to come and speak to you personally today. And so you're not walking in as just simple routine. My prayer is, is that this wouldn't just be an ordinary Sunday for you where you just go, well, this is what we do each week, but that you would come in and that you would meet the risen Savior and that Jesus would be speaking to your heart. And I don't want you to be surprised if you feel a nudging of the Spirit or if God is speaking to you because I believe that when we open up his word that he wants to speak to you personally. And so as you're here this morning, I want you to open yourself to that. Wherever you may be in your life, I want you to open yourself and to just uh, quickly pray, God, have your way with me this morning. I believe that he wants to, to, to speak this. So we're going to jump in. And at Galatians 5, uh, verses 22 and 23, this is the foundational text for our series on the fruit of the Spirit. And so the Apostle Paul has written this letter in, in verses 22 and 23. He says this, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. So this morning we're going to take a look at the second to last virtue, gentleness, uh, in, this, in this series. In the year 1839 there was a pastor, Pastor George Bethune, and he ended up writing this about this virtue of gentleness. He said, Perhaps no grace is less prayed for or less cultivated than gentleness. Indeed, it is considered rather as belonging to natural disposition or external manners than as a Christian virtue. And seldom do we reflect that not to be gentle is sin. See, we have to take gentleness seriously. We have to look at it and, and take it seriously. And in the midst of all these other virtues, gentleness tends to be overlooked in our lives. It tends to be the thing that we don't spend time praying for, that we don't spend time reflecting on. And this pastor writes this, and it's so key for us to remember that when we aren't gentle, it's sinful. 
that, that we have issues in that. The other aspect of that is this, is that for many of us, when we hear the word gentle, we tend to put that word with the word weakness. For some of us, and, and I would uh, speak even more boldly to you men in the room, we tend to think that if we are a gentle man, we are a weak man. And so we live in a culture that says you are strong and you push forward. And what this world is needing is followers of Christ who take gentleness seriously because there is tremendous power in gentleness. And so as we jump into this, I want you to know, gentleness is not weakness. And hopefully you'll see that here soon. So I don't know if you like practical jokes, or maybe you just like watching them. I love watching them. And uh, one of the, the best people to pull, to pull off practical jokes these days is Jimmy Fallon. The Tonight Show. And so The Tonight Show will do all sorts of different things, and, and they play these jokes. And when you look at them, I mean, I don't know how they come up with some of it, but there was this one a couple years ago that was just brilliant. They decided to send a street reporter out onto the streets of New York City and they put up a big cardboard box with an image on it. It was an image of this face of former New York Yankee Robinson Cano. And so the street reporter went out. In uh, the offseason prior to this, Cano ended up leaving the Yankees and signing a massive deal with the Seattle Mariners. Well, it just happened that that season, the All-Star game was going to be held in Yankee Stadium, and so Cano was making his trip back to New York. So they put this picture up of him, and the street reporter goes out and starts asking people questions. Are you going to boo Robinson Cano tonight when he takes the field at Yankee Stadium? And over and over again, New York Yankee fans said, of course we are. And so they said, well, why don't you take, get some practice? And so they would, the people would turn and they would start booing and yelling and saying all sorts of things that I will not say this morning. And they're screaming at this image. And when they were done, they would turn around back to the street reporter to talk to him. What they didn't realize is that Cano was inside the cardboard box. And so as the person was done, he would turn, the uh, fan would turn back, Cano would come out, and the reporter would say, well, that was pretty good, but why don't you know, try it one more time? And as they would turn around, they would see Robinson Cano standing in front of them. Now, when you watch this, what you find is that these people's expressions are full of rage, judgment, anger. I mean, they're saying things like, you don't belong here anymore, we don't need you, go home, all of that. Then when they turn around and they actually see him, all of a sudden, one fan who says, you, aren't, you don't belong here anymore, end up saying, hey, welcome back to New York, Robinson. <laughs> it's a great video, but what that video ends up doing is it paints a picture of our culture. And the reason it paints a picture of our culture is because for each and every one of us, we tend to move towards judgment before we move towards gentleness. 
It's easy for us to do that. In fact, for some of us, we possibly have entered here this morning already judging. Maybe we were judging worship or judging things that were taking place out in the parking lot or we were judging our family on the way to church. However it is, we tend to move that direction of judgment before gentleness. And what I want you to understand is that in your role description, if you are a follower of Jesus, no place in that description does it say the title judge. We like to think it does. It's easy for us. And yet, what it does say on your role description as a disciple of Jesus is that you are to be a gentle servant. A gentle servant. And so Paul writes in Galatians, these virtues in Galatians 5, and, and Bethune ends up talking about that this is the mo- one of the most overlooked virtues in Scripture. And when we look at this, it, what we have to understand is gentleness can bring about some of the strongest hope, strongest rest, strongest trust, strongest transformation out of anything. That's why I believe if you jump down to Galatians 6, what you see Paul saying in verse 1 is this, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person harshly? No. Gently. Restore them gently. And why gently? Why does Paul write that? It's because gentleness gives life. It gives life. And so what I want you to remember this morning, as we go through some some texts here, what I want you to remember is that Jesus deals gently with you so that you can reflect his powerful gentleness to others. See, he deals gently with you so that you can reflect his powerful gentleness to others. So when Paul writes this in Galatians 5 and in Galatians 6, we have to ask, what is gentleness? And if you were to go back to the original Greek that uh, Paul has this letter in, you would end up finding the word protos. And protos means uh, gentleness, but what it's associated with is humility and self-forgetfulness. This doesn't have any connection to weakness. In fact, weakness is never associated with this term. When we look at this, this gentleness, it reflects in some of what we see in the Old Testament. See, in the Old Testament, there's a chapter in Isaiah 40 that talks about the power of God. The entire chapter is about how great God is, how mighty he is, how powerful he is, and then all of a sudden, right in the middle of the chapter, is this verse, this one little verse, verse 11. And Isaiah 40, 11 says this, he tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. So why do I take us there? 
It's because in the midst of all this power, all this strong, mighty God language, we see tender gentleness from this God that we worship. And so when, when we see this, what we have to understand is if you have been associating gentleness with weakness, then you are, you're basically painting a picture that the God you worship is a weak God. And I don't know about you, but whenever I hear that, I go, man, my God, the mighty creator has all this power, and yet in all that strong power, he has this tender gentleness, and that's why I worship him. Now, you also have to understand this. Whenever what is gentleness, you have to understand that it's an active trait. Gentleness is not anything that you can sit back on. It's something you take action with. In fact, Billy Graham said, gentleness displays a sensitive regard for others and is careful never to be unfeeling for the rights of others. So when we look at this, it's not weakness, it's a strength. It's sensitivity that is strength. And it's caring for others. It's this uh, self-forgetfulness that you, uh, your rights don't matter as much as the rights of others. It's it's viewing others a certain way, higher than yourself. So the the past four days, these are some of the best four days for me. On Friday, I got up early, and I never get up early because uh, I don't work out, okay? I know it's surprising, but I got up early. And the reason I got up early is because one of the best events in sports is happening right now. The Open. You might like golf. I love golf. I love watching. And so I got up early, and I was sitting in my chair. I was reclining back, and it was great because nobody else was awake in my home. It was my time. And so I could just watch golf because whenever I put golf on, everybody in the house wants to turn it to something else. So I'm watching, and within 15 minutes of engaging with this thing that I'm enjoying, I hear footsteps. I mean, that shouldn't be happening because this is my time. And in walks my daughter. So my daughter walks in, and through my mind, I'm thinking, oh, man, why, you know, she's, why is she up? I mean, I want to watch this. She's up now. Now I'm going to have to engage this. And then all of a sudden, it's like God goes, remember what you're preaching on? And so I said to my daughter, hey, come on over here. And as she came over, I didn't expect this, she climbs into the chair with me. Now, I want to confess to you, I don't want my daughter to grow up. I don't. Because I know these moments are going to be gone soon. But she climbs in, and I put my arms around her, and I'm holding her, and the, the vision of Isaiah 40, 11 is coming into my mind in that moment. And so I'm holding her, and it's like this was the most incredible thing. She starts asking questions about what's happening on the screen, what's taking place, and so we're engaging. And, and so what that time meant was I was giving up some time of myself to her and engaging her and holding her close. That was an active gentleness 
Gentleness is not passive, it's active in its approach to other people. And so here's the thing, there's, there's two opposites of, of gentleness. You have, uh, on one end of the spectrum, you have inferiority, and on the other end of the spectrum, you have superiority, and gentleness is tucked right in between. See, gentleness doesn't have anything to do with superiority, that you are in charge or that you're better. See, for some of us who are parents, we sometimes struggle because there's times whenever our kids are not acting the way that we would want them to act. And the reason that bothers us and the reason that this frustrated spirit comes up within us is because we think it makes us look bad. And so we don't treat them with with gentleness. And the reason that look is there is because we have a sense of superiority. Now there's times that we have to correct, but we feel like it makes us look bad. Or it could be that you are in charge of a team at work, or you're in charge of a house, and when things are not going right, you get this frustrated spirit, and it's because you are superior to the other lives that are around you. And so you, you treat people differently. Then there's this other uh, end of the spectrum of inferiority, which is like this self-conscious thing. And when you read Isaiah 40, nowhere in Isaiah 40 does it talk about our God being seen as inferior or having this self-conscious spirit about him. You read the Gospels, you never see that in Jesus. And so we cannot put gentleness with those things. But it is a powerful, powerful virtue that can change lives. It's why we must always remember that Jesus deals gently with you so that you can reflect his powerful gentleness to others. And so in order to see that, I want us to, to see some examples of this through the life of Jesus. And so I want you to turn to John 8. We're going to leave these, uh, this letter from Paul, and we're going to see where Paul finds uh, much of what is taking, much of how we should live from the model of Jesus. Now, in John 8, if, uh, I don't know if it'll show this if you have a digital copy of the scriptures, but if you have a physical copy, there's a good chance that in your Bible there are some brackets right above this chapter. And what it says is, is that in the earliest manuscripts, this section was not included in them, or this text was not found in them. Now, I want to just address this real quickly. In the earliest manuscripts, it wasn't there, and then in some future manuscripts, this, was, this text was found. And so what we find in studying some scholars that have looked at this, that these verses were, were included and added by the early church, that this was a, a scene and an incident from Jesus' life, and so they included it in, and what you find is that it runs absolutely parallel with every other scene in Jesus' life. What I mean by that is that when Jesus treats this woman in this scene and the, the uh, religious leaders in this scene, how he does that He does the same thing with other social outcasts, lepers, those that are burdened. He treats them all 
the same way. And so the early church included this text. So when we look at that, we can trust that this text is happening in the life of Jesus. And now we have to ask, what can we learn from it? What can we learn from Jesus in this? So let's dive in. John 8, uh, I'm going to start in verse 2. It says this, At dawn he appeared again in the temple courts, where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman such women. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. So this is an incredibly powerful text. And what we find in this text is that that Jesus reveals several pieces of gentleness. And in fact, it shows uh, how gentleness acts towards others. And so the question I want to answer in here is, what does the gentleness of Jesus do? Because what we find in here, if we act the same as the model of Jesus, this is what we should be doing in our life. This, is, this will create some momentum for the kingdom. So, here's the first thing that I want you to see. Gentleness sees the need and shows up. Gentleness will see the need and show up. So here's, here's why I say that. When you look at verse 2, you end up seeing that at dawn he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him. Now, if you read before this in the Gospel of John and other places, you will find that when Jesus was walking this earth, people flooded him. He had people around him all the time. They were always coming. And so he would end up having this flood of people making requests, these doubters, these jealous religious leaders would surround him. And then whenever he would get away from a crowd, he still had a crowd because he had his 12 disciples following him everywhere. Jesus had people around him all the time. Now, think about your life. I can think of what's happening in my life, and I don't know about you, but after a day full of people, full of solving issues, doing the tasks at work, thinking through strategies, or whatever else fills your time, I would imagine that you would want to retreat. You just want to break from people. In fact, for some of you moms in here, I'm sure that you get going in your day and what you find is that every sentence begins with the word, Mom. 
and it wears you down to the point that you lock yourself in a closet just to get a break. And it's okay to get that rest and that break. But what we find with Jesus in this text is that he appears again. He goes again. He's going back to the crowd, back to where his enemies are. He's entering this place because he sees the need and he shows up. He doesn't run away from it. He goes and he meets it, and it's because he knows his purpose. He knows that he has come, and he is the good news. He has come to proclaim that. And here's the deal. For you that claim that you are a follower of Jesus, you have a role in whatever place you're in, whether it's in your home, your neighborhood, work, wherever you're traveling, you have been called to be a proclaimer of hope and rescue. That's in your role description. And so what we see is that Jesus goes back. And so think of this. The moments that you tend to retreat from is Jesus calling you to go back into, and he's not going to send you back to that spot where you're not ready for it because he is going to use the Spirit to mold gentleness within you so that you can reflect that to others. See, he's, he's saying, this is, this is how I want you to engage, to, to, to go back. And so Jesus models this. And so what are the, the needs that you see and how are you going to show up with gentleness? Because I know you have them. For some of you, it might be that you just have to go back to your family because you kind of said some harsh things on the way here. <laughs> or maybe you're going to have to enter the workplace tomorrow and have a conversation with someone. Or maybe you need to take your kids aside or maybe you need to see a friend and you need to see the need and you need to show up. And God will mold this into you. The second thing, that Jesus uh, shows us here is that gentleness is concerned with grace before judgment. Gentleness is concerned with grace before judgment. So look at verses three through five. When you read those, this woman is brought and stood before this crowd of people, before Jesus. And you can almost feel the weight of humiliation in the air. And she could have been pushed in front of him, however it is, but she's brought there and everybody's eyes are on her. And it says that the, the religious leaders were bringing a charge against her, that she was caught. Now, the Jewish law stated this. It stated that you couldn't bring a charge without two eyewitnesses seeing this, which begs the question, how did two eyewitnesses catch this woman. I mean, that seems shady. And so they're bringing this woman and they're throwing her in front. Now, here's the catch with Jesus. And he's in the, an interesting scenario. He knows that these religious leaders are against him and that they're, they're coming against him with this woman. And yet, he sees the religious leaders and this woman through the same lens of grace. Through the same lens of grace. 
He sees his enemies the same way that he's going to see this, this woman here. And so when, when this crazy scene is taking place, not only is he doing that, but here's the other piece. He knows that there should be a man present. In fact, in Deuteronomy 16 and 17, where the, the law is being set up, it states that the man and woman should be stoned, not just the woman. And so this is just a, a hot situation at hand. And this is a moment that Jesus, who is the only one that has the, the role description judge, could actually bring down judgment to this group of leaders and against this woman, but he doesn't. He actually gives another opportunity, which is his character of grace. He gives this, this opportunity. He could have jumped down on in everyone's throat and just said, these are the mistakes, this is the sin that's present. Now here's the deal. Jesus deals with sin. He does. He deals with sin and he takes it seriously. But it's because of grace that he views everyone the same way there and he shows up with this gentleness for them because he's going to give them another chance. See, when I knew that I was going to be preaching on gentleness, I saw it as God having a great sense of humor with me. I want to be honest with you, and I want to confess to you that uh, I'm a dad who is deeply convicted by what's happening here. I'm convicted about my gentleness and about my grace for my family, and there's so often that I lean towards judgment, judgment of, uh, of my kids more than grace towards my kids. See, I get frustrated when things aren't done the way that I want them done or, I, or done when I ask them to be done. Or if something gets broken or our schedule is, is messed up or delayed because something is happening with one of my kids, I jump to judgment. I confess that to you. And yet when I read this, I realize that grace and gentleness is supposed to show up and that I should be more concerned with grace before the judgment of those around me. I, whether it's our kids or coworkers or the person who cuts you off in the road or your neighbors or whomever uh, you're with, our action should be gentleness because, jo because judging is not in my job description. And so whenever I look at Jesus and see this, I, I realize that spirit-led gent gentleness, this virtue that Paul writes about in Galatians 5 that should be molded into our life, that we should be pursuing, will not only tra transform my life, It'll transform the lives around me. Because Jesus deals gently with you so that you can reflect his powerful gentleness to others. So I want you to think for a moment, how blessed are you that he is gentle with you in the season that you're in?
How blessed are you? So there's a third thing that we see in this text. Gentleness delivers truth full of grace. Gentleness is still going to deliver truth. I said that, you know, Jesus deals with sin. Well, he's going to deliver truth full of grace. We see that in verse 7. In verse 7, this is something that plays out. It says, when they kept on questioning him, these religious leaders. So when it's when this statement comes up, I think about it. It's a scene that maybe some of you have experienced or you've observed it in, the, in a store where it's a, a parent and a child in the toy aisle and the child gets this toy off the shelf and asks, can we buy it? And they get the answer, no. And then you see everything break loose. And so the constant questioning, why not? Can I have this? Please, can I have it? The constant questioning to the point that when the parent's walking away, the child is still carrying the toy in their hands, following, asking more questions. It's because they're not getting what they want. And the religious leaders are operating the same way. They, they keep questioning him. They're, they're going after him. And then all of a sudden, Jesus does something. He ends up stooping down, and he starts to write in the dirt. Now, some people believe that he was writing the Ten Commandments in the dirt or a symbol for the Ten Commandments, but it doesn't ever say what he was writing. But then, once he's doing that, he stands up with this most profound statement. Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Here's why this is unbelievable. If Jesus would have called for her stoning, this would have put him against the authority of the Roman government. He would have been put on their top 10 most wanted list at that time because he would be taking their role. They were the only ones that could bring down a judgment of execution on the people. And so if he did that, he put himself as an enemy to that government. But then, if he chose to free her, he would be disobeying the law given to Moses in the Old Testament. How is that? Well, he makes his statement, which the law commanded. The law commanded for the stoning. But what's interesting is that the law commanded that the witnesses be the first ones to throw the stone. So he makes this statement and when we look at that, this, what we have to understand is that the law ends up pointing to the need of a Savior. And the religious leaders aren't getting that. And so this law is pointing to that. And Jesus is delivering truth with grace. This is how this should be done. This is how this should be handled. And so he doesn't deal with anyone harshly there. He stands up. He does not yell. He makes his statement, and he gives truth because he knows and lets the truth do the work on the lives that are present. I don't know what you're like, but we often want to use truth to win debates or to win our argument. I mean, we, wanna, we want to use the scriptures to win our debates over all the things that are happening in culture. And whenever we look at this, uh, we see that Jesus is saying, just use this truth. Just give truth full of grace and let that work. Because this truth points to the Savior, Jesus Christ. 
So let me ask you, parents, grandparents, how are you parenting with truth and grace? Those of you that have the incredible position of being an authority at your workplace, how are you leading with gentleness and grace? How are you living among your neighbors with gentleness and grace? Because as a follower of Jesus, the world will see true grace, will understand truth that is delivered with this powerful gentleness. And so Jesus is dealing gently here. So gentleness delivers truth full of grace. Now, the fourth thing is this. Gentleness brings forgiveness to transform today, tomorrow, and all eternity. And we see this in verses 9 through 11. Notice how the the religious leaders, they disperse, and it's very clear to say the older ones started leaving. It's like the older ones knew, okay, they had just been slammed. They couldn't get him. And so they're leaving, and it's only Jesus and the woman. And now, Jesus could do something amazing, and he does it. He fulfills the law. And how does he do it? He fulfills it because the law said that the witnesses were to be present for the condemnation, for the judgment. Witnesses were supposed to be there. And so when no witnesses are there, the judgment that comes down is forgiveness. He fulfills the law. And he does it right there on this life. He doesn't condemn her. He forgives her. One commentator wrote it this way, forgiveness always precedes the command to sin no more. And forgiveness forms our greatest motivation. Think about it. Battling the sin in our life, we should always have a reminder of the forgiveness of Jesus Christ because that should be our greatest motivator. The gentleness of Jesus shows Several things, that he is concerned for how she lives her life from that point on, on this world. So in the now, but it's because it's connected to the eternal. See, how we live now, our actions, our our way that we live out gentleness reflects our perspective on all eternity. So if we are gentle, it will remind others of a gentle God. And so he wants this forgiveness to impact her. So why is this important? It's important because whenever we look at this, we can tend to want to deal with the temporal actions, like a parent with a child. But Jesus is saying, I don't want you to be about behavior modification. I want the eternal perspective to change everything you do here on earth. So when you have to discipline a child, how do you lead towards the eternal? When you're dealing with an enemy, how does your truth lead towards the eternal? When you're dealing with a hard situation in your life, how does the truth of grace and gentleness lead towards the eternal? 
when we deal with those things, it can move towards the root of all sin. That's exactly what Jesus does here. See, your actions, my actions, reflect on the now and all eternity. So I want you to understand that spirit-led gentleness ushers in this forgiveness that can only point to Jesus' work on the cross. It points to that. And so that's why Jesus deals gently with you so that you can reflect his powerful gentleness to others. Now, we see all that and you might go, well, that's Jesus. Yeah. And so I want to give you three things on how do you get that gentleness. And they're really, really simple. The first one is this, is that you must determine. What do I mean by that? You have to determine that this fruit of gentleness, this virtue, that you will meditate on it and that you will desire it in your life. In fact, you can do that right now. Determine, is this something I need in my life? And in fact, Jesus invites you into that. In Matthew eleven twenty-eight through 29, he says this, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. And I'm sure some of us in here are going to be burdened that we haven't been gentle. And so Jesus is inviting you to him. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Why? For I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. Determine if this is something that needs to be dealt with in your life. Once you determine that, then you need to spend some time in prayer. Each morning, pray for the Spirit to make you aware of each and every virtue, but that gentleness would be flowing from your life as you deal with those that you come in contact with so that you live out the gentleness of Jesus Christ. You are not the judge. You've been called to be the gentle servant. And third, and this might be hard, I want to encourage you to ask those closest to you how you come across to people. Do not go home and ask your entire family today, okay? But ask those that you're closest with, how do I come across to people? And if you're going to ask it, you need to be open to hear it. Because God wants to do a work in your life through the gentleness that he brings. Jesus deals gently with you so that you can reflect his powerful gentleness to others. Amen? Let's pray. Father, you are good. So good. And for us to see what is taking place in this scene uh, convicts me that I must be a gentle servant to others. And so I pray, Lord, that you would do that work on me. And then I I pray that, Spirit, you would come invade this space and, and work on my friends here. May you move in us so that we would be disciples that reflect the Father's love through gentleness. Thank you for your word. And may it take great action out of here. In your name I pray, amen.